Oh, if we could only learn from history what lessons it might teach us. Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. I finished Barbara Tuckman's The March of Folly this morning on a delightful 39-degree walk through the streets of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Tuckman uh, entitles her epilogue, and that's where I was today, A Lantern on the Stern. Now, she takes the metaphor from Samuel Coolidge, who lamented, If men could learn from history what lessons it might teach us, but passion and party blind our eyes, and the light which experience gives us is a lantern on the stern which shines only on the waves behind us. Now, about this, Tuckman says, You know, the image is beautiful, but the message is really misleading because the light on the waves we've passed through should enable us to infer the nature of the waves ahead of us. Good point. But the bottom line, she points out, is that what governments should see, and by seeing it, avoid folly, they don't see, and consequently, folly reigns. So she's asking the question, what's at the root of the folly that would cause the Trojans to take in that giant horse, or the papacy to get so off track in the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries, pursuing money and pleasure and ignoring the true care of souls? What's the root of the folly that would take Great Britain to war against the American colonies instead of recognizing, whoa, that's our future, and try to woo them back? What's at the root of the folly that would cause America to invest 22 years and 45,000 American lives and billions and billions and billions of dollars in the Vietnam War they knew they couldn't win? Well, Tuckman says the problem is that government leaders reject reason. Particularly, they don't take time for reflective thought. And then they often lack the moral courage to reverse course when their initial plans fail to achieve the ends that they hope for. You know, at one point, she cites Plato, who recognizes the battle that goes on all the time between the feelings people have and and the reason that they possess. And Plato said, when desire disagrees with judgment of reason, there is a disease of the soul. And when the soul is opposed to knowledge or opinion or reason, which are her natural laws, that I call folly. Now, as I'm listening to Tuckman and later rereading portions of this epilogue, she talks about rubies in the backyard and the most repugnant option in government. And when I hear phrases like that, rubies in the backyard, or the most repugnant option in government, It just has a way of grabbing my attention. My ears perk up, and it's the beginning for me of an aha moment. Listen to what she has to say. In its first stage, mental standstill fixes the principles and boundaries governing a political problem. In the second stage, when dissonances and failing function begin to appear, the initial principles rigidify. This is the period when, if wisdom were operative, Re-examination and rethinking and a change of course are possible, but they are rare as rubies in a backyard. 
Rigidifying leads to increase of investment and the need to protect egos. Policy founded upon error multiplies, never retreats. The greater the investment and the more involved in it the sponsor's ego, the more unacceptable is disengagement. In the third stage, pursuit of failure enlarges the damages until it causes the fall of Troy, the defection from the papacy, the loss of a transatlantic empire, the classic humiliation in Vietnam. Persistence in error is the problem. Practitioners of government continue down the wrong road as if enthralled to some Merlin with magic power to direct their steps. There are Merlins in early literature to explain human aberration, but freedom of choice does exist, unless we accept the Freudian unconscious as the new Merlin. Rulers will justify a bad or wrong decision on the ground, as a historian and partisan wrote of John F. Kennedy, that he had no choice. But no matter how equal two alternatives may appear, there is always freedom of choice to change or desist from a counterproductive course if the policymaker has the moral courage to exercise it. He is not a fated creature blown by the whims of Homeric gods. Yet to recognize error, to cut losses, to alter course, is the most repugnant option in government. That is so good. Whether it's the Trojans or the papacy or the British in America or America in Vietnam, we can see that we're on the wrong course. And yet to acknowledge that error, you know, to cut the losses, to change our course, it feels like such a repugnant option. And this isn't only the problem of governments. It happens to all of us, I think, all the time. So what's the solution? Wisdom. The rubies in our backyard. Re-examining our course of action. Rethinking our options. Owning our mistakes. Changing the course if necessary. You know, when it comes to wisdom, Tuckman's thought tracks with what God says. For about wisdom, God says, she is more precious than jewels. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. That's Proverbs 3.15, and I love that phrase. Nothing you desire can compare with her. I can desire a lot of stuff, and God says, hey, it doesn't hold a candle to wisdom. And yet, wisdom is often what lacks in government and in families and in business. And wisdom, it comes from listening listening to God's word, and then to the word of wise people, even our detractors. A little later on in the epilogue, Tuckman quotes Edmund Burke, of whom she is quite fond, and she also quotes Machiavelli. And Burke said, magnanimity in politics is not seldom the truest wisdom, and a great empire and little minds go ill together. Whoa. Machiavelli said, a prince ought always to be a great asker and a patient hearer of truth about those things of which he has inquired. And he should be angry if he finds that anyone has scruples about telling him the truth. So what Tuckman said is governments need great askers. They need to have more people that say, hey, tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I don't want to hear. Tell me what I'm not seeing. Help me to see what I'm not seeing. 
I'll add one more voice to that of Burke and Machiavelli. It comes from Winston Churchill, who on the subject of having people speak into our lives, said this, so good. The temptation to tell a chief in a great position the things he most likes to hear is one of the commonest explanations of mistaken policy. The outlook of the leader on whose decisions fateful events depends is usually far more sanguine than the brutal facts admit. And what Churchill is saying is, you got to tell me what I don't want to hear. Governments and people opt for the most repugnant option, refusing to recognize error, refusing to cut losses, refusing to change their course of action. And why? Because they don't look for the rubies in their own backyard. They don't take the time for re-examination, rethinking, um, listening to others, and exercising the moral courage to change course. And they don't look for the rubies because they're often so unwilling to listen to those who are trying to help them see the truth. Well, there are rubies of wisdom in our backyards if, and that's a big if, we're willing to open our eyes and see them, to open our ears and hear them. So where do you need to take a second look? Are you a great asker? i.e. asking for others to help you see what you don't see and perhaps tell you what you maybe really don't want to hear because you know deep down you need to hear it. Who's challenging your thinking? Don't leave those rubies buried in your backyard. And that's my thought on my walk with Barbara Tuckman and her historical masterpiece, The March of Folly. Now the question is, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today?